Well, good morning again. You found us in a uh, part three of a new series we're doing called Refocus, Refresh, and Refuel. And we are excited this morning um, about what this will mean for us. Um, this series is meant to feel like the kind of refocusing that you do sometimes when you feel like you've just kind of drifted along for a little while in whether it's your marriage or in your work, and you stop and you ask the question, wait, why am I working again? Wait, I know we're living together, but we're married, right? There should be some kind of love here, okay? And Wait, I think we're raising kids, not just having them grow up in our home. What does that mean? And some of those times of refocus that you have, this is for the church. What are we doing? What's our focus? So we've asked two questions so far in this series. The first one we asked on week one, and that is, what are we doing? We asked the question of mission. We talked about the reality of mission drift, that every organization or people throughout history have struggled with just drifting away from their mission. Without being anchored to something or thrust by something, we will drift anywhere the current takes us. So we answered that question by saying, at Grace Point Church, what we are doing is developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That that's what we do. The second week, we asked this question, where are we headed? If that's what we're doing, then where are we going with this thing? Where is our direction? And we talked last week about being present in the town square by relentlessly pursuing the social, spiritual, and cultural good. It should give you a mental picture of where the church is headed, to be present in the town square by relentlessly pursuing the social, spiritual, and cultural good. You should be able to see and kind of imagine what that might look like to be present in the town square where leaders make decisions and where culture is shaped and decisions are made and, and things, service happens and, and all that. That's where we're heading and wanting to be. We don't want to be the third street down on your left and take, take two rights and then you'll find the church somewhere disconnected from the heart of the community over there somewhere. Now, this morning, we want to ask this question. Not just what are we doing or where are we headed, but this question of what will it feel like on the journey and last week I alluded to this saying, hey, if you ever go on a road trip with your kids or with your roommates or with whoever you go on the trip with, it's one thing to know where you're going, but it's another thing to wonder what it'll feel like in the car on the way there, okay? You know, what will be the mood and what will be the, the values? What will it feel like on our trip? And in a way, that's what I want to ask and try to answer really for the next six weeks, the next times that we're together here. We're talking about values and church values. If you are here, and you're raising a family here at Grace Point, or you're visiting, you're trying to figure out what this place feels like, or you're just kind of trying to settle in, or, or you are um, into the sunset years of life, and you're wondering, what will this place feel like? To be on the journey with these people, what will it feel like to be in the car with them on this kind of a road trip? Okay? If we're, this is where we're going, what will this feel like together? And so we're talking really about values. And I'm excited to talk about that because they're so, uh, so helpful to try to clarify values for us. And so to get around that, to get around values, I want to take you to a passage in the Old Testament this morning to start. And we want to talk that through, and then I'm going to turn it personal toward us at the end. All right? So we're going to go Bible with, in the book of Joshua. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about a value statement, and then we're going to ask a question that you can reflect on and ask, am I reflecting on this value, okay? So let's go there first. In the book of Joshua, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Joshua. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. There's one in the pew around you. Um, and that is our gift to you, by the way. If you don't own a Bible, we uh, would be glad to have you 
take that home with you and enjoy that um, as our gift to you. The book of Joshua is in the Old Testament. It is, uh, you're going to find it right after um, Deuteronomy, the sixth book in the Old Testament. Um, there, Joshua chapter 1. Remind me next week to not get a wobbly stool when I'm up here, okay? I'm, I'm feeling a little insecure at the moment up here, all right? Okay, although if it breaks, you will never forget the message this morning. So that might be actually a helpful thing, all right? Here we go, in Joshua chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 1, um, and to, to set this up uh, for you, you should know that Joshua, as a young leader, is taking over leadership of the nation of Israel from a very successful leader, Moses. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. And what will it be like, and what will it feel like for a new leader, Joshua, to take over from Moses? Filling his shoes. Pretty amazing stuff. So let's read about that in Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready. Get ready. Here's his mission. Get ready. Get ready to do what? To cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Now look at the promises that come with the mission that God gives them here. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Look at the power of verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pause it there at verse 5. What's happened to Joshua here is really significant to understand. God has just said to him, listen, get ready. Get ready. You're going to go do something, and I'm giving to you a promise that all the land, all this land, I'm going to give to you. That's a big deal. And I'm going to give to you not because I just like you, but because I want to establish my name and my covenant with my people, that my name can be made known through all the world, that all people at all time will come to know me. Therefore, I want you to do this. And, Joshua, here's my promise to you. It's an amazing promise in verses 4 and 5. This is how far your territory will extend. In verse 3, he says, I'm going to give you every place you set your foot. In verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Can you imagine that? Every day of your life, hearing God say to you, no one will stand against you today. No one will stand against you today. No one today will stand against you. Everywhere you go, I am with you. Can you imagine that? And this is what Joshua is hearing. Now, I don't know what Joshua was thinking, so let me guess. This isn't in the Bible. I can only imagine that Joshua had to have some thoughts of disbelief. Because to who does this happen? 
Who experiences this kind of success? Where has Joshua actually ever seen this before? Like, did this even happen to Moses? Did Moses even have this kind of success? Like, to where can Joshua look and say, oh, I've seen God do this kind of thing before. Like, for a lifetime that he is with me, for every day of my life that he's going to be with me, and he said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. Every place you go, every place you set your foot, I'm going to give you that land. Go, I'm with you. I don't know what Joshua's thinking, but I will tell you what I would be thinking, and that is, this is really neat, God, but I don't believe you. I want to believe you, but I don't have a context for that because I know about opposition. I know about human struggle. I know that I'm not even going to be faithful to what you're calling me to be. I know that I'm not nearly as good as people think I might be. I know myself, and for that reason alone, I doubt that you'll be faithful, that faithful to me, a sinner, let alone leading all these people. Are you kidding? I think there had to be some of that going on. Now, I don't know. It's not in the Bible. But I think it's human nature. And the reason I think that is what happens next is so important. What God says to Joshua three times in four verses. A phrase he says over and over and over again. Very, very important. In light of this, Joshua, right? In light of verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, here's what I want you to do. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book, this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. In verse 9. Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous. And then look at the do nots. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Stop it there for this morning. The reason I think that God has to give him this three times, say be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. And let me remind you again in verse 9, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I know I said it in verse 5. I'm going to say it again in verse 9 because here's what will happen, Joshua. You will be afraid. You will be discouraged. You will fail. The people around you will fail. And you will wonder, am I here? And you will have to make a decision when you come to a T-junction. When you come to that T and there is fear there, you're going to come and you're going to have to decide, who am I going to trust? And here's what happens to us all. In those moments when we come to the intersection of fear, I have to ask, is it going to be me that I'm going to trust, or is it going to be my God who I'm going to trust? And you know as well as I that I have resources on a scale of 1 to 10 that might be a 0.001, in relation to God's resources of a 10. And so we know in our minds, if given the choice, and the question put before you, are you going to trust yourself or God? Who has more resources? We know, because we're smart people, that the answer is God has more resources. Why wouldn't I trust him? But here's what happens with fear. Fear tells you, God may not come through for you. 
but you can come through for you. Therefore, draw down and only do what only you can do. When you're at that cross-section and you're running up to the intersection of fear and discouragement, draw down. Be comfortable with what you can do. Don't trust too much because that's foolish. We see it happen with children. It's an interesting thing with children. Children are great teachers for us, aren't they? When they're very small, most children are kind of fearless. Um, and then they, after climbing up on whatever, into the ceiling fan, okay, then after they fall, then it's like, ah, maybe I won't do that the next time. Or when they're in the bath and they're, they're infants and, you know, whatever, they're growing up to be toddlers and they're loving the water, and then they, you get them in a swimming pool and maybe their first step in is great into the little baby pool. But then they get water up their nose, and it's very uncomfortable, and it's a sense of out of control and this feeling of, oh, oh, and the next thing you know, they don't want to go in the water anymore. And you've seen it done. Maybe you've done it with your own children. Maybe you remember it with your parents if you can have that good a memory. But the time you see these little kids coming up to the edge of a pool, getting ready to jump into mom or dad's arms. Okay? And the decision at that moment, of, is Junior going to jump or not? By jump, we mean take a step, of course. right? We don't actually mean jump, but it's, it's, we encourage them on it. Here's what we know. If we're watching that thing unfold, and there's a kid who's just on the brink of taking this step, and who's just trying to decide, should I go or not, they're making a decision at that intersection of fear. Do I trust the resources of my father, or my mother, or my sister? If it's a sister, the answer is no. Do I trust the resources of the person who's in the pool, or do I trust mine? And if you're watching this, and here's what you know, if the kid takes a step back, you feel that drop in your heart, like, no, 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 no. It's going to be okay. Like, it's going to be okay. Trust them. Trust them. It's going to be okay. And they take a step back. And here's what you also know. When you take a step back from the edge of the pool, the next time the kid gets up there, their default behavior is going to be the same thing. Because it gets harder and harder and harder to take that step of trust when we come to that intersection of fear when we've learned and conditioned ourselves to trust in ourselves. But we also know this, that we make terrible gods, right? So when I put my trust in myself and I'm in that moment of fear and I trust in my resources, I'm essentially saying I'm the God of my life, not trusting the God of the universe. So I'm the God, therefore I say I can't, therefore I can't. But what if you can? But what if we're to be strong and courageous? What if what, if what God promised to Joshua in Joshua 1.9 was echoed to all people at all time? What if Jesus at the end of his time on earth said in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What if in Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, God tells us, I'm with you, always. I'm present with you. Why are you afraid of man? What can man do? I will never leave you nor forsake you. The promise is reiterated to followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Don't be afraid. And the reason we have to be told that is because we are, by default, afraid. Right? We fear. Good grief. Some of the best people in the world have feared. Peter, the follower of Jesus, an incredible man who walked out onto the water. Great moment of courage for him. 
a little while later, he's denying Jesus to a junior high girl. Right? He's like, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know him. I've never met him before. Three times in one night. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what might happen to me. Some of our greatest leaders in history have been very afraid. And here's what happens in that moment at that intersection of fear. When you go to the right, and here's what I want you to see. When you go to the right, if you imagine the fear intersection, the sign to the right says, growth ahead. The sign to the left says, mediocrity ahead. If you can imagine that intersection of fear, and we go to the left and we trust in ourselves, really we're making a decision to say, I'm content to live a mediocre life. We go to the right and trusting in our, in our God, the reality is there is growth ahead. Now, with that as background, let me say this. Our first value, when you think about what does it feel like to go on the journey with us, and here's what we want. It is an ideal statement that is n- almost impossible to live on a daily basis. But that's why we put it up here. What will it feel like, first of all, to be here at GPC? What is our, one of our leading values that we want to be about as a church? And that is this. We want to live fearlessly. It's scary <laughs> to even say that. We want to live fearlessly. We want to be the kid who comes to the edge of the pool and is like, I trust my father. I'm going to go. I'm afraid I might fall in. I trust my father. I'm going to go. My resources aren't enough. I'm going to trust my father. I'm going to go. We think about what does it feel like and what should it feel like to be around people in this community of faith who are trying to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and are trying to be present in the town square and making a difference socially, spiritually, and culturally. What should we feel like and how should we encourage each other? We want to be people who are living fearlessly, which is very, very, very difficult, if not impossible. Even Joshua, the greatest, one of the greatest leaders in the nation of Israel, had to be encouraged by God three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. The reason I have to encourage you is because I know that you're going to be afraid. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Trust in me. Trust me, we want to live fearlessly. Now, at GPC, here's where we turn this in our first leading value statement. We live fearlessly, and we live fearlessly in a particular way. And that isn't how we relate to one another. This is going to get fun, all right? This is going to get fun. That our focus in this first statement is we want to live fearlessly, and we want to add to this, we want to forgive generously and speak openly. So as you think about sitting around people, you're sitting around being in a small group, medium-sized group of people that you're around here, How do we relate to one another in relationship? What does a courageous relationship look like with people around you who are trying to follow Christ? What does it look like? We want to live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. While living fearlessly is nearly impossible, forgiving generously is rarely modeled. Speaking openly is often modeled, but just poorly. Forgiving generously, if you can imagine, if you can get this phrase down, this can be so helpful to you when you think about forgiveness. We think about forgiveness because you and I know we are going to bother each other, we're going to annoy each other, we're going to have habits that we wish were different. There are going to be not only decisions that are made that you aren't going to agree with, but there are going to be feelings created that you think you're going to be frustrated with. You have to figure out, what do I do with that? How do I handle that in relationship with one another? What does it look like? To be a part of a church where we want to live fearlessly. We come to that intersection and what do we do? We want to be people who forgive generously. So, here's what I mean by that. 
when there is an offense between me and you or you and whoever, I know that I've forgiven when this is true, that I no longer dwell on it, I don't talk about it with others, and it doesn't stand in the way of my relationship with you. I'm going to say that again, and actually, here's what we want to do, because this is going to be fun. I would like you to repeat that phrase with me. Isn't that neat? Look at, look at the enthusiasm in the crowd this morning. All right. In other words, forgiveness is, and I'll say it again before I ask you to repeat it, but forgiveness is making this commitment. Okay, and this is what I'm going to ask you to repeat with me in a moment. I will not dwell on it. I will not talk about it with others. I will not let it stand in the way of my relationship. I'll say it one more time. I will not dwell on it. I will not talk about it with others. I will not let it stand in the way of our relationship. You ready? I will not dwell on it. I will not talk about it with others. I will not let it stand in the way of our relationship. If an offense cannot be cleared out of your mind or heart that way, and if you find yourself still thinking about it, if you find yourself trying to avoid conversation with people because it's uncomfortable, then it's standing in the way of your relationship. If you find yourself having a hard time knowing, can I talk to them about it? Or if you find yourself in conversation with people, being critical or negative about others, then it's coming between you and someone else. And this is where we say, wait, I've got to deal with this. And this is where we say, then we need to speak openly. We need to speak the truth and love to one another. And I will tell you, this is fearful time. These are fearful moments. What will that conversation look like? How will I do that? Let me tell you, when you come to the intersection of fear, you go to the right, it says growth ahead. You go to the left, it says mediocrity ahead. It's just, it's just the way it works. When the kid comes to the edge of the pool and has a chance to step in or jump in, when they step back, you and I both know their default is going to be to step back. So our leading value is we want to be courageous in relationship with each other. We want to be fearless in our relationship with each other. And this is hard. This is hard because we can bother each other quickly. Right? We can. We can also forgive each other generously and speak openly with each other. But it is hard work. We make a statement to try to clarify this even further in our leading value statement, and that is this. That we also want to reject the culture of sin management and embrace confession, honesty, and grace in relationship with others. The big idea there is we want our culture here to be a culture that recognizes the truth of 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10. That if we claim to be without sin, we're lying. Okay, we're deceiving ourselves. 1 John 1, 9, and many of you have memorized that. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In other words, we are a, a group of sinners gathered together. And what do sinners do together? Sin. And therefore, if we find ourselves in a situation, seasons of life, where we are not confessing sin to one another in a healthy, appropriate way, we have to start asking the question, do I just have acquaintances or do I have friends? Do I have friends who are helping me drive courageously toward confession and toward growth in Christ? Or do I have acquaintances who make Sunday morning a little bit nicer? We reject the culture of sin management. Sin you and I both know cannot be managed, it cannot be controlled. We've heard this before, it grows in the dark. And it cannot be kept in the closet. It is too powerful. It is too seductive. It is too demanding. It is too insidious 
to be kept in the dark. You cannot control the habit that you've been trying to break, and you know it, and I cannot. Sin is too powerful. It gets a hold of us. It twists us. It manipulates and moves us. And if we're a part of a culture in which we do not have relationships where we are able, one with another, to speak courageously, lovingly, with great forgiveness into, we will not get on top of that. And we will just manage the sin in our lives, which is not what we're called to do. At the same time, if we don't believe that forgiveness is available, then we're not going to confess it. If I think that condemnation is coming, it's not safe. If I think that criticism is coming, I'm not going to say anything. This is why forgiving generously, speaking openly is so important to us. Okay? These are big things. Now, let me ask you this. This question we have, because these are not just values as a church, we drive each of these values down to a question. Because the church is made up of people, and if individual people are not embracing the value, then it isn't a value. It's just a statement on a wall somewhere. So here's what we have. For every value statement we have, we have a question that we invite our, our folks to look at and to ask the question, to reflect personally. How much am I reflecting this value? So here's the question on this statement here, and that is this. Am I stepping into my fears and living honestly before others? Am I stepping into my fears and living honestly before others? It's a question to ask. When I come to that point in my life, where I'm, I'm afraid of what might be next, what's my default? Do I step in or do I step back? Do I step in or do I step back? Am I living honestly before others? You know, I, I'd encourage you, as you see this moment of, of fear, and I want to talk through this in a, in a little bit, but as you come to a moment in life where there's something that you think you should do, okay? There's something that you think, ah, God might be leading me to, to do this, or maybe, you know... It, in my relationship with my spouse, I really should step it up here, but uh, my work relationships, my parenting, um, my, um, my witness or life in school, um, the way that I'm dealing with my family members, you know, whatever it is, the way I'm handling even my own faith and what God is leading me to do. When I come to those moments where I think, man, there's something that God is leading me to do, and, and, I, and I step back, not only am I conditioned to do that, but I'm stepping right back into making myself the God of my life. Every time I'm afraid of what might happen if I, and I react to that by stepping back, I'm stepping back and saying, I'm, I'm a good enough God for my life. I can trust myself, but I can't trust my God. What if you would replace, I'm afraid to, with, I have a chance to grow in. What if you would replace, I'm afraid to talk to my spouse with, I have a chance to grow in my marriage. What if you would replace, I'm afraid to do what God wants me to do with, I have a chance to grow in my faith in a way I've never had a chance to before. What if you would replace, I'm afraid to talk to that person with, I have a chance to grow in how I handle conflict in a way that I've never experienced before. What if you replaced, I'm afraid to live my faith out at school with, man, I have a chance to grow in how I walk before my peers. What if you were to replace your language and recognize every time you come up against that fear, it is a chance to grow? And here's what you know. You never grow without pain. Right? You, you never grow without pain. It doesn't happen. 
You never get stronger by sitting on the couch and eating donuts, right? Doesn't have my feel good, but you're not getting any stronger. Your marriage hasn't gotten better because you've taken awesome vacations. Your marriage has gotten better because you've gone through hard times and figured it out with God's help along the way. Your relationship with your peers at school doesn't get better because everything's happy all the time. It's through the hard times when someone's parents are divorcing or someone's going through cancer or someone broke their leg or whatever it is. It's through the hard times that you grow. So we never grow without pain, and fear is a reminder of the pain that will come. And so stepping into the fear is a step into pain almost every time. And my default reaction to that is, I'd rather sit on the couch and eat donuts. But what if God says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What if God says in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, don't be afraid. What can man do to you? I am with you always. I think about the model of Jesus. Okay? I think about Jesus walking into the city of Jerusalem. At some points it had to be perhaps annoying to know the future. I always wonder how this works with Jesus. Starting a conversation, you know how it's going to end before it begins, okay? Knowing what the day will hold without any mystery. Trying to figure out how the omniscient God is pressed into a finite being. Jesus being fully God and fully man. So here's what Jesus knows as he's about to walk into Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be tortured. He knows the beating that his body is going to undertake. And he knows the people who once praised him will curse him. And he knows the pain that he's about to endure. Now, I don't know what fear looks like for God. I don't know how to separate when Jesus, uh, how, how Jesus reacted in terms of his humanity and his deity and understanding all that. But here's what I know. That Jesus stepped into that. And he walked into that Fear. He walked into the city of Jerusalem where he knew that he'd be tortured for his faith. He knew that he'd be killed, but he did that for us. And that pain created an incredible, profound, world-changing event for us. It provided salvation for us. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Follow me. And in stepping into that moment, even when he acknowledged a couple days prior, he prayed in the garden, he said, Father, in tears, Father, if it is your will, please take this cup from me. In other words, I don't want to go through the pain that I'm going to go through. I would rather have another way forward. There's no other way. Walk through it. Walk through it. And know, as you walk through the pain, and as you walk through this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. The gospel is a story of continual repentance, grace, and forgiveness. 
where sin needs to be forgiven, where grace needs to be offered, and forgiveness is granted. This is what it feels like to be in relationship with people who are intentional and courageous about their relationships. What will it feel like at Grace Point Church to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to be present in the town square for the social, spiritual, and cultural good? That we continue to aspire to be people who will live fearlessly with one another, who will forgive generously, who will not dwell on the offenses, who will not talk about them with others, who will not let them stand in the way of our relationship because we forgive generously. We speak openly, never wondering what someone else is thinking. We're on mission together, following in the footsteps of our Savior, being washed through with the gospel of repentance, forgiveness, and grace, trusting him when it's extremely, extremely difficult. This is what it should feel like. This is what it should feel like. An incredibly, incredibly high challenge. But I will tell you, I don't want anything else in how we relate to one another. I don't want anything else. I don't want you or I or my family or yours to walk through life with a mediocre, a mediocre relationship with one another. I want your challenge on me, and I want to challenge you. And you and I both know this is how we grow with that intentionality, with that care and love for each other that doesn't give up but wrestles the tough stuff down in a loving and forgiving way because we're on mission together. This morning we have the chance, we do this once a quarter, we have the chance to take communion together. In a moment I'm going to invite the communion ushers and worship team up to do that. And as we take communion this morning, I hope that the communion moment will be a reminder for you and for me that this is what our Savior did. When he died on the cross, he stepped into this this fear, if you will, that he followed the call of his Father on his life. He followed the call of God the Father to go to the cross, to die on our behalf. Then he says, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you always. What can man do to you? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And that the message of the gospel, repentance, forgiveness, grace, washes through our relationships from the top down. So as we take communion, may that be in our hearts and our minds as we eat and drink in a moment together. I'm going to pray for us as our ushers come forward and the worship team comes forward. Now will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to talk for a few moments about what this feels like and should feel like to be in relationship well with one another. It is a high calling. It's rarely modeled well. But when it is, it is awesome. And when forgiveness is extended and grace is offered and sin is confessed and we live with vulnerability, trust, with intentionality with one another. What an awesome thing that that is for us as people and what an awesome thing that is for our community to see how the gospel works. But we know it's tough because we will fight fear to get there and we will fight pain to get there. I pray that you would give us the courage 
to be reminded of the things that you promised not only Joshua, but you also through your son promised to all believers at all time, that you will be with us. What in the world can man do to us if you are with us? Help us to trust in you to do the things that we know are hard to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.